Welcome to Tectonic, episode number 23. This is a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. I am Joe Darnell, your host, and with me is my friend and co-podcaster, Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing, sir? Good evening. I'm doing well. I'm coming down from the high, which was the Apple event yesterday. Oh, such a high it was. Oh, man. It was like Christmas. We were introduced to... All kinds of new things, right? What did they say? It was like, um, well, nothing much is new, but actually everything is new. <laughs> uh, it was so exciting. I mean, I woke up, you know, groggy, and then I just remembered it was like Christmas morning. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, today's the Apple event, and I get to, you know, go watch it, and it's going to be great. So Yeah, for a lot of the people I like to follow on Twitter, I don't think it was like Christmas for them because they're members of the media, and so they were actually like down in the trenches. They're trying to really explore the topics, and so they, I'm sure they were exhausted. They weren't watching it over their Apple TVs like we were. Yeah, I heard it was really hot, like the air conditioning wasn't working, or they didn't have air conditioning or something. Well, it's California, you know, they, <laughs> they just don't use air conditioners. I hear that a lot of buildings don't have air conditioners in the first place. They don't know what to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should introduce our guest because he's going to want to talk about these things with us. We have Gary Morris, who is a developer and SEO specialist. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Thank you so much for coming to our show. It is a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. We, uh, we're excited to talk about SEO a little bit later on the show because that's something that all the internet's people need to know more about and understand better and demystify. It's actually one of the growing concerns for the internet community. It's affecting good people and bad people. And it seems to be that internet, you know, search engines move in mysterious ways and <laughs> no one understands search engines anymore because SEO, it was introduced and you have to go to conferences to learn about it. There's practically new degrees about it. And, uh, and I just feel like every day of our lives is like just the energy is sucked out of the life of everything when we have to talk about SEO. Yeah, it's definitely clouded in a puff of smoke out there somewhere like the, the man behind the curtain. But I'm also excited to be doing the follow up episode from a technological perspective, you know, our Super Bowl ending with the Apple products. So mm, yeah, good news for us. You are interested in Apple products like we are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so should we, should we tell the audience that the backstory of what just happened for the last, seems like about three hours of us working through all of your technical issues. And then you said, Hey, actually I've got a Mac laying around. Let me try that. And right. boom. Right. Yeah. Just, we'll take a, yeah, we'll take a, a brief moment to kind of give the behind the scenes story. <laughs> That's pretty much all they have to know is three to five hours wasted. Was it? I don't know. Yeah. I'm actually burying in the backyard right now, both of the previous laptops. So you got to go out and get one of those iPad pros as soon as we're done with this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it should be noted as well. We were talking the whole time on my iPhone, which didn't have a hiccup at all. So. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it is the way of the future. We have several highlights about the Apple event. We're not going to go into it super deep this week. We're going to talk about it with our other guest, Mr. Eddie Smith next week, and we're going to go super deep on it then. But I just wanted to kind of mention the highlights things are our, our first impressions. Like I felt like this was a great Apple moment. Their performance was tight. There weren't so many dad jokes. There wasn't the corniness that we've encountered in past years. There wasn't review of other things they've previously introduced. You know, for the most part, it felt like they were pressing forward. Like they weren't reviewing the story. They were adding to the story with all their products. Did you all, do you all get that impression? Well, it was, it was their way of, of apologizing for Eddie Q's dancing last, last time. So I, I thought it was, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was one of the best you know, just from a purely like sit back, let it, let it all wash over you. I think it was the most exciting, uh, best event in at least three years. Like I'm just looking back to, I guess it was, um, WW, WWDC in maybe 2012, I think when iOS seven was announced, the new Mac pro, I remember that, that event really sticking out is just being like, wow, this is a lot of, a lot of new stuff. And I just thought this this event was just top notch, you know, not only in the products but but the presentation as well. Yeah, yeah, and Apple's legendary actually building the narrative. You know, when it comes to business and products, they have a way to feed you these new releases in a way that it feels like you're watching a Twitter feed. You know, 
Exactly. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So the most beautiful Twitter feed ever, you know, from the Garden of Eden right off of the apple tree. This is the best Twitter feed we've ever done. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's magical for sure. Well, speaking of the magical products, they introduced updates to the Apple Watch. We have iOS, sorry, WatchOS just around the corner that's coming out with iOS 9 on September 16th. I'm really excited to install the, the real public version. I'm not going to get any sort of pre-releases because I'm just wary about experimenting on my watch. So I cannot wait for September 16th. That's going to be another holiday. It's going to be sort of like New Year's compared to Apple's Christmas yesterday to get the iOS 9 and the watchOS, I think. And what I'm going to love about it most is just the future potential of native apps on the watch itself, the localized apps. Um, do do you have a watch, Gary, or are you interested in the future of the Apple Watch? Oh, I, I definitely am in the market for an iWatch. I just have to justify the purchase. I mean, this is kind of secondary, but my wife actually has a heart condition, and it was really good to promote the necessity of an iWatch last night with her with some of the some of the side products like Airstrip and being able to monitor your heart rate and all the things that go. So I'm working very hard on justifying this purchase. Mm, you can go in with a his and hers app, Apple watches for Christmas. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we do have uh, penalties on the show for calling it an iWatch. Just to let you know, you've mm-hmm. gotten two, mm-hmm. two, two demark. Ouch. Demark. Don't downgrade our Twitter feed, man. <laughs> right. Apple, Apple watch. <laughs> Got it. And now how about you, Joshua? Are you interested, more interested in the Apple watch now that you can get the sport band in any color that you like? <laughs> uh, I still have to hold off. I've got, so many more things, so many more Apple things are a little bit more appealing to me at this point. So mm. how about some of those iPad pros or maybe the iPad mini four or the, the new price structure of just all the iPads, you got to get some new devices for your kids. Yeah. I, I just, I've been struggling with how to move forward with all of that. And, and they just made it more complicated for me. I just, I don't know where, where to go. Like I said last week, they're definitely not getting an iPad pro. Uh, and if, if I get one, it'll be under lock and key, but <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. They got so much great stuff right now. I just, I don't know where to start. Yeah. What Apple kind of stressed with the iPad pro was that it was revolutionary technology. It was sort of like introducing the, the MacBook one, as we call it, the, the new model with practically no ports at all, where it's going to meet the needs for a lot of users, but it's not going to meet the mainstream's interests and needs. So it costs a little bit more. It's going to serve a few narrow workflows and the people who can fit that niche are going to love it. And that's how the iPad Pro is feeling, that they they showed off how doctors and artists could really appreciate this device. And if you want to be the writer like Federico Vitici that wants to use an external keyboard, you have more options now with the keyboard cover. And then for people like me and other illustrators, if we're interested in taking our uh, digital canvases on the road and mobily taking care of designs wherever we go, we always have that Apple Pencil. Ah, oh, that technology looks so gorgeous. Oh, it does. Yeah. Even the commercial, I mean, it was just it was just captivating. So the way they do everything, I mean, just from the and you've done video, you know, so I, I'm sure you're just watching just what they put out from a marketing perspective and and with drool, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it should be noted that every one of these Apple events, they end up using more and more video content to promote their their products. And so they give less of their uh, executives time to to talk about and demonstrate the products on screen. And I don't know if that's because they're seeing a movement towards more and more video content in this digital age where the the videos themselves have a longer life on the on the internet with mm. YouTube and their website where they fewer and fewer people actually benefit from trying to watch the keynotes. They want to show more content within the promotional videos. And I could see a future where it gets to the point, maybe they don't even need the keynotes, maybe in five, 10 years time. I don't know. No, don't say that. Don't say that. I I like them. I love them. I don't want them to go away, but it seems like they're going to start releasing Apple movies instead (laughs) of Apple keynotes. That's where it's headed, right? With the, the new Apple TV. I mean, they're going to start their own exclusive content. Why don't you start with a dramatization of the Apple events, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the next product that I was hoping to see this year that would make great video footage is the bulletproof screen for the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> it's just it's acceptable to you know cracking and it pretty much ruins your life at that point so we got the next best thing though right we got 3d touch right yeah yeah that was something else it took me a while to appreciate the name though because i was thinking force touch man just call it force touch you know don't don't confuse the issue but it actually makes a lot of sense because it matters where you're applying the extra firm pressure on the display of the phone. So it, it's, it's taking into account that you're not just pressing down anywhere on the display. You're pressing down on a specific app icon or button or message that you're trying to call up actions for. So you're, you're in a specific zone with your thumb. And that's why I think they, they have the 3D touch rather than force touch. Now, now, how is it on the on the watch? Does it not? Is it not? Does it not matter where you push down as long as you push down? It does not matter. So, really? if, yeah, yeah. If huh. you're in a zone where you can use a force touch menu, you just push firmly down anywhere on the display, and you'll call up the one and only menu that there can be within that spot of an app. Okay, so that it's it's just like a one or a zero. That's interesting. I you got to imagine they'll eventually move to I guess three D uh, touch on the watch. It's interesting. So they've got they got the Force Touch, they got the 3D Touch, and then what are they calling it on the iPad Pro? Because it just seems to be more, I guess, stylus based. I guess the stylus is what has the sensors with. The, yes, the stylus itself has a lot of the technology built into it. We should probably call it the Apple Pencil. Yeah, it, it, the the stylus will manage its own stroke effects and. Um, you know, like specialized sharpness and softness as you turn the pencil different ways. Hmm. That's picked up by the pencil itself. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So the other thing, the the other interesting thing that I think will matter more to casual Apple users is the Apple TV. Now, they're calling it the new Apple TV. It's chunky. It's about twice as big as the last hardware model. It has this black remote control that doubles as like a Wii controller with motion and you can also have like swipe gestures on a miniaturized trackpad. What are y'all's thoughts about this input device? I'm not crazy about the remote necessarily. This first model just looks like it's, um, it, it looks more like an Apple prototype than something that looks cool and interesting and edgy for the bleeding edge of entertainment devices. Like if you look at all the other gaming controllers out there, I mean, the original NES controller is more flattering than this one. I just, I know it might be practical. It just doesn't look very sexy for an Apple product. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, when they were showing some of the video footage of it in use, I just, practically speaking, I'm not sure how that's going to work. You know, they brought some of the guys from uh, some of the different app companies that looked interesting. They brought back the apps that, you know, everyone's addicted to. And I could see how it would be dynamic in a setting that just had better usage of, you know, a controller so yeah i, th I think I'd, I'd like to definitely get my hands on it i'm sure we'll end up buying it just for the for the processor speed increase but yeah, as far as the remote goes i'm not sure if you're able to i guess play and pause with a little touch or a little tap or do you have to use the the, the play button or, or 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 whatever they call it because it just seems like it's like an awkward place but i guess i guess we'll just have to see how it works like it if you're scrolling through and you and you and you find your your show, can you just tap on the on the thing or do you actually have to press the the play button? I don't know. And if it's anything like the experience of the Apple TV remote app on the Apple Watch or the uh, the iPhone, it's going to be hit or miss because sometimes the swipe gestures don't necessarily happen on the Apple TV the way that you would expect them to. Mm -hmm. It's kind of um, like a, just like a glitch between the two. It seems like there's some lag and hesitation for the Apple TV to catch up with what you're swiping on the iPhone. I sure hope it's far superior to that with yeah. this remote. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it'll be worth 150 bucks. So definitely, that's a that's a definite probably. Well, and the other thing too, I'm curious about. They said that you can use Siri to search through the content, but not all the content. On day one, you're going to be able to use Siri to narrow down content for a handful of the networks, but there are like 50 plus networks already on the present model of the Apple TV, and maybe only four or five of them are represented with the Siri search. So you're still gonna be limited to the remote control when navigating through all the other networks, and that seems like a, a huge handicap when you're introducing this new product. You wanna give people the best 
experience with Siri right off of the bat. And they're going to struggle with that, I think, until they can get better integration with all the other networks content. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I think I mentioned this last week. I wasn't sold on the idea of them actually taking a, a giant leap forward to move it from a hobby to a, a real business. And, and I still guess I'm on the fence. I, I just don't know if, if this was quite as big as I was kind of hoping it, it could be. It's definitely an improvement, but I'm not sure if it's a huge improvement. Now, Joshua, you were saying though, you feel very good about the iPhone 6S improvement. You feel like this is substantial, right? Yeah, I mean, I keep in mind where I'm at. I've got a 4S and a 5 between my wife and I. And so, I mean, it was going to be a no-brainer. <laughs> that we How would did upgrade. you survive this oh, long? It is, I feel like I've been living in a cave. My only hesitation is with the, the RAM. I was really hoping for a RAM upgrade for the uh, 6S Plus. I've heard that, you know, that they have issues sometimes with, with some, some lag, I guess. I think you, you've, got a, you've got a Plus, right? Yes, yes, I do. And it, they, yeah, I experience it a lot. Yeah, so I, I might shy away from the plus for now and stick with a 6s and how about you gary are you interested in the new models yeah you know i didn't see enough i mean even with the the different components that were coming up i didn't see enough i have a six plus at times it's too much screen for me i still miss being able to reach everything with my thumb even if you can downsize the menu so i do miss the smaller screen and i don't know that to me was the letdown to be honest so me me and Joshua are on different planes when it comes, but that's because he's what ten years behind. So, <laughs> so it's like the A track to the CD player kind of thing for him. But um, so <laughs> exactly <yeah>. like that, <laughs> right? So yeah, I don't know. I the iPhone, Apple phone, Apple Watch. I'm all over the place here. <laughs> uh, to me, was just some of the from the application perspectives was the thing that had me wild the entire time. And like we talked about earlier, just the presentation format. When I watch Apple, I'm really looking. They set the precedence for when it comes to just communication in general because they do it so well. It's always engaging. You're never falling asleep. You're not distracted. And so just sitting back and watching how they engage with the product, with real people, and with a consistent flow of a message, just it grips me every time. So it's it's the narrative that they write that they just, it's nobody can compete with it at this point. So you see a lot of people out there that try to market the way that Apple does, and they do it just from a visual perspective, but they cannot match the, the narrative flow that they, they do with these products. So I'm just, I sit back amazed at the way that it's a, just a consistent message, yet you're not tired and you feel like you just watched something that's crisp and innovative, even if they reintroduced a phone from 10 years ago and just put it in a new box. Mm, truer words were never spoken. <laughs> well, I, I do admire the handiwork on the 6S and the 6S Plus, but, but because I do have a 6, I'm not tempted to upgrade. I'm going to stick it through, pay off my phone, upgrade eventually to the 7. I think just the ring of the name, iPhone 7, it has to, it has to be something great. So the, the differences between a 6 Plus and a 6S Plus are not enough of them uh, for a move on my part. And I'll be eager to see what the 7 has in store for us. And who knows, I might even go back to the smaller display size if it's a sweetened deal. And, um, <laughs> you know, like you say, I think it would solve a lot of our issues. Thumb reach ability, and then also the question of the, how much RAM they put in the thing. And maybe that the, the kind of like the RAM could be the thing that's slided kind of like 16 gigabyte storage on some of these devices and maybe that apple is just hesitant for a little bit longer than we would like them to be now we should move on because we have a lot to talk about so that's just a tease if you want to hear more about the apple event please listen to next week's episode i cannot tell you what we're going to say just yet but we're going to take plenty of notes and we're going to have so much more to say so what we need to talk about Gary, is stuff in your area of expertise. I was really excited that we have this opportunity to talk with you because SEO matters. You know, in our day and age, there are so many good content providers. There are companies with good products. There are small businesses online that are struggling to figure all this stuff out. It used to be that you could have a website with pretty shoddy design and still be doing well in business. But then there was some changes. There was some sea changes where more and more professionals were polishing the internet and things just got to looking better and better. And it seems like after the web 2.0 movement, 
that you saw better and better, richer designs. You, now we have HTML5. So content is, is getting crisper and more state-of-the-art. The presentation style is better. It, just the way that social networks have improved a lot for our experience day in and day out has made a sea change. You know, Tectonic is all about the, the seismic shifts in technology culture. And what I see here is, is that the one thing, the most mysterious and frustrating and scary thing about the internet today for people who are capable with content, people, people who are capable of producing and selling good products, people who are good at design, you can find people who are pretty good at all these things, but there's this one other thing you really need to figure out and plan for properly with your online presence, and that is you have to figure out the SEO. You know, that stands for search engine optimization, and you don't have to be a developer to understand it, but you have to understand it if you're going to make it online. Right. Yeah, you absolutely have to understand it. In fact, it's something that's so necessary to understand because we are living in an era when it comes to search engine optimization from a marketing perspective that we've never experienced before. We're talking the ability to market to where it's actually readable, to where the data is available to the small business owners so they can actually see their marketing efforts pay off. That has historically never been available. I mean, you just imagine marketing in the old days. You're talking billboards, newspapers, commercials. All of this is just placed out there and you're blanketing large groups of people in hopes that somebody's looking for your product. And what search engine optimization has done has actually flipped that completely around. And it's given owners, business owners, the ability to target the audience when they're actually looking for their product and be able to measure the results of their marketing. So it's, it's not only necessary, but there's so much freedom in being able to invest your money in an area that you can actually physically see the return. But obviously, that's predicated on the assumption that you're willing to look at the data. And I know that that's where everyone falls off. That's where our eyes gloss over when I talk to small business owners about search engine optimization. I get about five minutes into it, and it's, they get those shark eyes where I realize I lost them. <laughs> So I try to drill it back. I've tried to not pursue them to the final end. They don't need to know all the data that every SEO guy needs to know, but they do need to know some basics. Okay, so here's the thing, though. though. Before we get really deep into the discussion about SEO, I just got to say, like, there's a lot of ridiculous nonsense that goes around about SEO. It scares me. It's intimidating because, you know, there's all these new experts out there that seem to be presenting smoke and mirrors, telling you misleading information, talking in highfalutin business speak that isn't very practical. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I should have SEO, but now how do I do it? And they give you these, um, these vague expressions to describe how SEO works. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but how do I do it? And I, I don't feel like there's that many people who actually know what they're talking about. They've found that SEO matters, it's important, and it's intriguing to people. So they found a way to market to online you know, businesses, small businesses everywhere to emphasize developing the SEO practices. But then what they actually deliver on their promises is pretty shallow. They're not actually giving you something that is a satisfying solution. And that kills small businesses. I've seen lots of people who funneled tens of thousands of dollars into their website's development, all to see this go down the drain when the web developers and the SEO specialists didn't know what they were really talking about and the results just didn't come through. And then, you know, I have some friends who are in a business that manages a great number of websites and they've had people that came along that needed help that were really struggling just because they were burned by other developers that were really not doing their job well, who promised big and gave little for all of their work. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of the language has actually put a lot of small business owners and I target, basically, we've really targeted small business owners because we feel there's two things there. They're essential to effective economic growth in any community, but also there's, they're targeted for easy smoke screens, as you put it. And, you know, we've seen the smoke screens, we've seen the 
you know, we'll get a little bit further into some of the data and what that means and what that consists of. But what we have seen is these business owners, specifically this past week, Joe, I was talking to a guy who owns a dental hygienic product and he's marketed it um, in different markets globally, but he hasn't been able to tap into the American market. And so they hired an SEO company at about $24,000 over the past six months. And he's getting data on a consistent basis. And all the data reflects a successful website. They built the website. The website looks okay. Um, but it's there are things that aren't equating. The sales aren't there to support the kind of data that they're providing. And so a lot of times what this takes is just breaking down the information that these small business owners can access and letting them see that there are a lot of there there is an artistic aspect to search engine optimization. That's why those companies exist, but not everything is inaccessible to them. So there is a way to check the companies that you're dealing with because it's it's really easy to be drowned in the data. And that's what a lot of these companies like to do. They like to drown you in the data. They show you what they know you would like to see, but you don't get to see what's behind the curtains a little bit. Okay. So Gary, then how did you fall into this particular field of SEO and how did you, you know, develop the, this area of expertise? Tell us your story. Yeah. So basically I was a logistics manager at a marketing company for 14 years and we actually had a warehouse fire that basically destroyed all of our inventory. We marketed for large companies and we had a ton of product. It was a huge warehouse. And after the fire, we found it very difficult to regain our step. It sounds like Amazon burned you down. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we were already looking in that direction. I mean, luckily, <laughs> we were in some niche markets that were privately held companies. So um, but some of our big products, our expensive products, they could get from Amazon. But basically what happened is we started to see the end of the line here. And I saw that this company wasn't going to be able to recoup some of the issues that had come up since the fire and regaining inventory. And un uh, unfortunately, you know, at that point, you had to begin to look at different areas. And I had already been doing web design for probably 15 years, just as a side thing. And uh, search engine optimization just kept coming up because I kept butting my head against it wherever I went. Because as you know, when it comes to web design, you're, you're also talking content. There's no way to get around it. You're going to have to fill in some content. You're going to have to structure a website. You have all different ways to do that. So it was impassable for me to begin to look at this. So so I jumped, I jumped full board. Uh, the first company I started doing search engine optimization for, this is about a year, we're, we're just over a year now, quickly began to, uh, they tripled their, their sales the first quarter, doubled it the second, and uh, offered me a job at that point, and then also said that they're going to allow me to pursue the search engine optimization side of my own business as long as I was able to, you know, keep the keep the stats up on their end. And so I did that and things began to unfold pretty quickly. Once you get in the niche of what's happening, it, it's, it's amazing because there are so many targeted areas that a business can grow from. And so one of the illustrations that I use to help explain the whole process to business owners is traditional marketing has been basically like you have the pizza guy that's on the side of the, on the side of the road, right? And he's, he's twirling the, the get pizza now sign. And it's buy two, get one free. And he's doing that for two hours. And he's, he's holding the sign up by the road. You got these guys that are passing by and, you know, over the past, or guys, girls, women, whatever, for hours. And they're passing by and you eventually get a couple people from that. That's been traditional marketing. The problem is not everybody on that road has wanted that product. Yeah, most of them have never wanted that product. <laughs> right. They don't want pizza. They've already eaten dinner. They're on their way to work. All these other issues are coming up. So the ROI traditionally has really been unmeasurable. It's, it hasn't been appealing. And what we've been able to do with search engine optimization is take that same guy and place him on a road. Let's call the road pizza places near me highway, <laughs> right? And now he's twirling the same sign, but everybody that's on that road is looking for a pizza place at that time. Instantly, your ROI is going to increase. Now, the problem is you're going to have guys with huge billboards and you have Crayola and a cardboard box that says pizzas now. So how do you compete with some of these other companies, <laughs> you know, if you're a mom and pop shop? The thing is, when it comes to search engine optimization is you have these side roads that people take to get to the main road. 
So it could be a pizza shop near whatever zip code you're in. And maybe it's not as many people driving on that road, but you're still going to get a great ROI because the billboards are not competing on that side road. So what I did is I started to target local SEO. I wanted to drive traffic to these local companies and make sure that we're grabbing, in SEO terms, long tail keywords. These are keywords that have less volume, but they also have less competition. And so as we started to do that pretty rapidly, we started to see success. So that's pretty much been the passion since then. We're a year and a half. We have a seven. We just grabbed another client today for our eighth client. He's actually a former Detroit Piston and his wife has a very successful furniture company. And so we're looking forward to jumping in on that. Mm. And, and like I said, though, I have to say, I'm going into this with a lot of hesitance because I've seen so much just junk about SEO on the internet. And th- here's the problem though, is that anyone from just a personal website all the way up to a website like, you know, YouTube needs SEO one way or the other. So the question I have in my mind is, and I'm kind of afraid to ask this is, is is SEO a full-time job for anyone's website, small or large? Is it something that a, a, someone with a, a well-crafted personal blog has to worry about that, you know, he has to hire someone out to manage his SEO? Well, let me say this, you are doing SEO. The question isn't, are you doing SEO? Everyone is doing SEO. If you're putting data out there, you're doing SEO. The question at that point is, are you accurately crafting your content in a way that's going to be helpful for the user? And so the reality is a lot of small businesses think, you know, one of the problems I come in with this is, you know, entry-level SEO is pretty expensive. You know, you start out at $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, and on up. And so a lot of small businesses that are just getting on their feet, they they find it difficult to come up with that kind of marketing fund. And so what I try to do is I try to bring some of these guys along and, you know, like this company I referred to that we signed the contract today, we're talking, this is five months into the process of just coming alongside of them, helping them to do some small things themselves that can help their SEO efforts. And so if you're a small business owner or if you own your own personal blog, I would say first, you're already doing search engine optimization. The question is, are you doing it well? And of course, that follows up with how do you do it well? Well, you think about the people that you're writing for. And it's amazing that through all the algorithm changes, Google came out with several algorithm changes that penalized a lot of companies. The companies that it didn't penalize were the ones that were just concerned about delivering quality content. And so if you're doing that, you're already ahead of the game. So You know, one of the areas I encourage bloggers or um, small business owners is if you can't afford marketing right now, there's a couple of things that you can do. We'll get into some of the some of the great free content that's out there and free products that you can use, but at least get a writer. You know, we utilize iWriter is one of the websites or several other, but you're talking you can get a thousand word content piece of content written for 10 bucks. You get a couple of those a week and you're driving the kind of content that's actually appealing to the people that you're writing for. But if you're going to just, if your only purpose is to drive traffic to your site, then just stay out of the game because you're wasting everyone's time and Google's going to see through it eventually. But if you're writing content because you love what you're writing about and you're benefiting the people that are finding it, it's going to pay off because compound data is better than compound interest it eventually adds up and it adds up a lot quicker. So just start writing. So, so uh, I've seen the, the kind of the, the shady things that Joe's mentioned and, you know, the certain businesses that are uh, uh, not very reputable, taking tens of thousands of dollars. How, you know, as a, as a, you know, I'm a small business owner, a couple different little things going on. How do I determine that company is shady versus not like what, what are the things to look for versus like, what are the things that, that maybe you guys do that that are uh, I guess more ethical or useful. Yeah, there, there's there's a number of of steps to take. The first is to look at the price, and you you have to ask how much of of time and effort is going to go into this SEO program. Typically, if you're finding an SEO guy in the five hundred dollar a month range, I would be hesitant, and that's that's across the board. It's they're just not going to be able. They're not committing the kind of time that it's going to take to do an effective SEO campaign. But on top of that, if you can't afford that yet, you're not at that step. There are things that you need to be doing right now so that when you're ready to make that transition, 
you have the data available for that SEO agency that's already sitting there. And, and Joshua, you and I have been talking about this as your wife is undergoing some new stuff and it's exciting and, and it's been great to see how that's been unfolding and some of the ROIs you're having on, on Facebook and social media. Basically, just as a way of a couple free things that you can do today is Google Analytics. Go to Google, install your analytic code. Hopefully, you own your website. That's the first thing. If an agency comes to you and says they'll build your website, but they own it, you need to run away. That's different from saying <laughs> you know, that they're going to do software updates or they're going to charge you a monthly fee for security updates and plugin updates and code updates and all that. But if you don't own your website, then just back down because that's, that's your real estate. That's, that's your commodity. You need to hold on to that. You need to own that. And you need to, and if you're going to own it, you need to steward it. Well, you need to take advantage of that ownership. So one of the first things I tell people to do is install Google analytics. And the reason being is it instantly, and it doesn't cost you any money. It starts gathering that data. We're talking about the gender, the geolocation of individuals, the search terms that they're using to find the amount of traffic that you had yesterday, the time of day that they're going. And when you sign up, for an SEO agency and something looks fishy, if it's your website, you own that website, then you need to back up that investment and go to Google Analytics. Installed, it takes you know 10 minutes. You can look at the data at that point and you can see if they're telling you like this dental, dental agency I was telling you about, they, uh, they're, t- they're telling them you're getting 16,000 hits a day, which converted to zero sales. And the average time that someone was on their site was roughly at what they were saying was 60 minutes which that's simply not happening 60, 60 minutes that is that is uh watching some bootlegged star wars movies on youtube right right the owner actually was concerned because the average duration time went down to 45 minutes so um for, for a dental hygiene product yes yes obviously they're being snowballed here i mean anyone that's done any analytic aspects they can look at this and say there's no way that people are reading about this product for 60 minutes at a time and if you're getting 60 16 000 hits and you have no converted sales we got some issues where would they get that number to present? They just literally make it up or because I mean, Google analytics is a pretty basic thing that is pretty objective. And Joshua is the internet. Anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually what they're doing is you get a because lot of, maybe I need to quit my job and go into the shady side of SEO. If that, <laughs> it's right. not going to last long. Hopefully with episodes <laughs> like this, we can, we can pull those guys out. But um, basically what you'll have is a lot of referral spam traffic. And if you're not breaking down that data and you're not showing them the actual concrete traffic. Now, if you're a small business guy, you're going to want to know how, how do I decipher that? The beauty of it is something like Google Analytics shows you, right? I, I have an app on my phone and I can look at anything. I can look at the keywords. I can also look at the referral traffic and I can say, well, this guy's coming from the spam website and you can filter those sites out and you can come down after a while to the raw data. And as a small business owner, that sounds that sounds a little intimidating, but it really isn't. If anything, just install Google Google Analytics as one option. There's there's Bing web, Webmaster Tools and um, Google Search Console and a few other things that you can do. Those three things are free, and it will provide you at least something to look at. If they're saying sixteen thousand hits a day, and you have no idea how much actual traffic you're getting, they minds will say it's fifty million hits a day. And that's just not that's just not good good business operations. You wouldn't do that with any marketing campaign. You need to be investing this money, but also backing up. So, how do you and your company, uh, I guess, handle that in a more upright, ethical way? Uh, we we first teach small business owners how to check the data, because the reality is, if you're really worried about the the local businesses succeeding, which you should be, if I'm doing search engine optimization and this company fails because they're not getting converted sales. I don't have a client in three months. So it doesn't benefit me at all. So I want them to be informed and have enough of the knowledge in the background to know how they can actually be investing in this in the right way, but not, they have a business to run. I don't want them to worry about all the different aspects of, you know, what, what do you need to put in it in your header or what is the structure of it have to look like and different aspects like that, but they need to at least be able to back it up because in 10 years from now, if they go with another agency, I still want them to succeed. That's part one. Part two is 
I need them to be prepared for success. I need to know that this company is actually concerned about expanding. Because as we know, if you're on Google and you're on page one and there's different search engine op- search engines we're not even touching on yet, but we'll just stick with Google for now. There's a million keywords going back to the illustration. There's thousands of side roads that can lead to that main road, get pizza near me. <laughs> and if you're on page one and you're at the bottom, you're getting maybe 8% of the business. But if you move up three or four spots, you've just doubled or tripled your business with very little effort. Because people, everyone goes to Google. Everyone just goes to a search engine, types in the business, and that's typically what's happening nowadays. This is going back to the whole purpose of this episode is to say that search engine optimization is absolutely essential because whether you like it or not, that's how people are finding your business. And if you move up from spot six to spot four, you've potentially doubled your business because as you can imagine, there are thousands of keywords to move up in. So as you're doing that, you're you're finding that the volume can fluctuate as well. So we can have a company that this recent company that's gone from $250,000 a year. And Joshua, when you and I were talking, I had said that they had tripled, but they actually had doubled at this point. They tripled the first quarter, they doubled the second. We've evened out for this first month of the third quarter, but they've went from 250,000 a year to $500,000 in sales in under a year of effective search engine optimization. So so for the for the small very small new newbie guy, you would say just go out and create quality content. Don't worry about Google's algorithms ruining your life or anything. Just go out there and 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 put out good stuff. And then whatever business or website it is, then maybe you start to make some money. You got some extra uh, revenue. Uh, you know, at some point you can afford that thousand dollars a month. Then what exactly is it that you would do for them? Well, saying that you do SEO, when when a guy says he does SEO, I ask him, so what do you do? He says, I do SEO. Well, to me, that's a lot like saying I work at the hospital because there are all these different components that make it work. You know, are you the janitor? Are you doing brain surgery? What exactly do you do? SEO really consists of several different things that all have to be working together at the same time. This is going to be the art side where you're actually, we're talking about real investment. You're pouring it into a company and you want an ROI. If you're a small business owner, I, I, I want to reiterate, you can do this. Start writing good content. Hire a guy at you know $10 a article that has to do with the business and make it good and just put it out there and you're going to start to make some headway. But when it comes to the art, artistic aspect, the, the complications that consist of SEO, you have things like competitive analysis. You want to first start to look at your competitors. When a, a new company signs up, I want to look at the competition. How are they doing it? You know, you want to look at the top ranking people in that field and see what does it look like. And sometimes there's a sweet spot where you can go in and you can see that their web design just as starters is horrible. It just it looks like it's from the 80s and you know right away we've got the, these guys are on the first few spots we got some headway to make because you can't get away from design user experience is an area that if you don't pay for it you're the commodity if it's facebook if it's twitter if it's google if you're not paying for it you're the commodity and so they want to make sure that they're delivering a user experience that's that's quality the other aspects would be like on-site optimization we want to make sure that we have uh, the right terminology, the right location, the right product information that's actually conveying the message of the business. You want to look at backlinks. In the past, what we've had is really bad backlink strategies. And a backlink is basically any other company that's pointing or business or website that's pointing from their site to you through a hyperlink. So if it's whatever the business is, newsocks.com, they're looking to see if other companies are pointing to you. That gives you some uh, domain authority. And some of these black hat SEO tactics, which is the bad stuff, has just been inundating these different uh, spam sites with backlinks. And now Google's picking that up through the different algorithms. This affected a lot of companies. They've seen that all you're doing is spamming with backlinks, and they've begun to cut you down. Social media. You need to have a social media presence. So the frequencies changes based on the industry. And based on the social, the social media company, you know, Facebook, you want to average two to three posts, Twitter, you can get away with six. Well, that's the crux of the issue though, right? The people who want to rig the system will take advantage of any way that they can 
to manipulate SEO and it hurts the good guys. It hurts the mom and pop shops. It hurts the, the writers that are trying to make self-made businesses on the side. It hurts a lot of podcasters. You know, one of the bigger problems we have as podcasters is that all of our content is audio, which is most definitely not search engine optimized. So how would you recommend to podcasters out there, there are, which are many, and there's more of them to come, how they could possibly improve their search engine optimization? Do you think that they have to build websites where they write a lot of content alongside of their audio content in order to garner the attention of Google? Or can there be a way that they can balance the act between hour and a half long podcasts with short, simple, sweet descriptions like so often podcasters do? Like right now, you have these podcasters that are reaching out to the community of listeners that are well-established, but all of them recognize that there are still millions, hundreds of millions of people out there who would probably enjoy their good show if they were only discoverable. And right now, they're just not really all that discoverable. Yeah, and what people have seen search engine optimization as, as a way to make shortcuts. But if you want to make shortcuts, you're, you're, it's not going to be the way to do it. You have to be in for the long haul and delivering quality product. And the market will catch up to you, but it will take time. Now, again, if you're trying to deliver something that's mediocre and you're not willing to invest into search engine optimization, just get out of the game while, while you can because it's not going to matter anymore because there's so much competition. But if you're committed to delivering excellent products or in podcast aspects, if you're, if you're committed to delivering the very helpful podcast, then that's going to catch up over time. But it's not the um, people that are trying too hard to write for search engines that it becomes robotic. And when it comes to podcasting, if you're podcasting with search engines in your mind so much, you deliver lower quality product. But the whole point of search engine optimization is to bring good content to the forefront. But the good content is the skeletal frame for search engine optimization. Good marketing will only make bad companies or bad podcasts fail quicker. So even if you begin to optimize like crazy and you have a bad podcast show, all that's going to happen is the same thing that's happening when you started before you started to optimize. Nobody's going to listen. So you have to actually make sure you have a show that's providing value. And if you're doing that and you're looking, okay, what are some of the practical things? And so if it's out there and if it's it's in a in the audio bubble, but there's no data that can visually be seen, it's going to be difficult to rank for that stuff. So some things could be automatic. One of the things that you can do is look for online transcribers, things that are going to transcribe the data or the podcast show, or even do just snippets of the show. If it's providing value that's worth talking about, it's providing value that's worth writing about. And so it's not, there doesn't have to be this dichotomy between do I podcast or do I write? You're going to podcast more than you're going to write, but that doesn't mean you avoid writing. If you're podcasting, this is again, so important, you already are doing search engine optimization. Start to look at your titles. Start to look at the way that you're writing the titles of your podcast. Is the title of the podcast conveying the message of what's actually on the episode? Write rich snippets, write metadata, if you know you know some of the background stuff for SEO. But if you don't, if you're just podcasting, I would say as a baseline, begin to look at the titles. Is it conveying to the individuals who are looking for what you have the message that's within that podcast. It's kind of like the wrapping paper. You know, let them see the shiny wrapping paper so that they're wanting to wrap it up. What problem are you solving in this podcast that actually is going to be worth their time? As we all know with social media, with the different components out there, people have a hard time finding time. And they'll do that with titles. My wife will send me articles and she'll say, what do you think about it? I said, I didn't really like it. Did you read it? No, but the title was boring, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so think about titles. Think about the people that you're writing for or that you're podcasting for and write the, the little bit of information that you're currently doing in a way that actually captures their attention. 
All right, Gary, thank you so much. This has been a great way to get our feet wet in the issues of SEO for small businesses and for personal blogs. I think that this could be helpful. Uh, Listeners, if you're not interested in approaching your website clinically, then maybe you need to reach out to some SEO specialists and get their help so that you can focus on writing the great content, producing the great shows, creating the good video media that you, you know and love and work on your areas of expertise. If you're the creative type like I am, you don't need to become a left brain and right brain worker. You know, if you need some help, there are people like Gary out there who can help you with the other side of things. So Gary, where can people find you online? And if they want to learn more about the services that you can provide with Grafted InDesign, uh, where can they go? They can go to graftedindesign.com. They can email me as well at gary at graftedindesign.com. And if they're a tectonic listener and they just want some raw data, they want some information, they want some help, I'm not going to try to sell anything. They can just drop me a line on Twitter at Gary Morse. That's with one R, uh, you know, and just, just let me know what their problem is. And we can do a, you know, five minute, 10 minute consultation and um, help them along the way. Because again, this is about small businesses succeeding. And if they don't succeed, search engine optimization agencies don't succeed either. Well, and ultimately search engines have failed. They have failed the people if they cannot find those small businesses that are not just trying to fight to survive, but also have something good to offer the world. I hope that over the years, the years to come, we can find ways to make the internet not just more usable and turn up more results, but make the results smarter to spot the, the, the cream of the crop and bring those to the top. All right. So thank you so much, guys, for joining us. This is going to complete episode 23 of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash 23 for the show notes and the links. If you want to connect with me, I am underscore Joe Darnell. The show is at Tectonic FM on Twitter. And my co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. That is Joshua Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer spelled P-E-I-F-F-E-R. And our guest with us is at Gary Morris. And his last name is spelled with two R's, but his Twitter handle is spelled with one R for Morris. If you want to help us out, give us your star rating on iTunes. That always helps people find the show. Leave a comment there. Tell us what you think of the show. And I cannot tell you how much I love hearing back from you guys. We have heard from many of you by email and in person and on Twitter. So please show us some of the love on iTunes. If you care about the production of the show, keep want to keep it going, please help us out with some reviews on iTunes. I am Joe Darnell. Thanks again for listening to Tectonic. Tectonic.